Great to have you all here on this um, second Sunday in Lent, and uh, I'm sure you join with me in appreciating the gospel choir and uh, their being here to lead us in worship. Well, uh, a man by the name of Greg told me that he is uh, very nervous about losing his job, and he doesn't know what he will do if that happens at his age and in this economy. He feels like throwing up much of the time and absolutely uh, is beside himself if his boss ever asks to see him. A woman by the name of Kirsten, and of course these are not their names, but a woman by the name of Kirsten is uh, sort of tied in knots in concern over her children. Brad uh, self-medicates every night so that he is able to go to sleep. Uh, David absolutely crams his day with activity because there are things that he does not want to give himself time to think about. I can go on. Uh, Julie is quite uh, anxious about her marriage. Angie is worried that she will never get married. Courtney is worried that she will never get pregnant, and Ashley is worried that she is pregnant. David has full-blown anxiety attacks that have caused him to change professions once already. Uh, All of these folks present fairly well. Uh, They may be your neighbors. You have no idea the level of fear and anxiety that they are managing on any given day. They are here most uh, weekends. Uh, Some of them are a little bit more open uh, in sharing about their struggles than others are. Um, They've all been told, by the way, to relax, and uh, that counsel in and of itself doesn't seem to be quite enough. There is uh, a lot of stress in our culture. There is a lot of stress and anxiety in this room. Some of it is specific to a situation, some of it is free-floating. Some of it is manageable, others is crippling. Some of it seems to be uh, situational, some of it seems to be maybe more brain chemistry, some of it seems to be spiritual. Um, I am uh, thankful that today, in the course of our study, we have an opportunity to see how Mary managed her stress and anxiety. Uh, My hope and my prayer today is that I am able to sort of uh, deliver this news without causing those of you who are already at the tipping point uh, to feel even more anxious than you currently do. Uh, That said, it's worth noting that stress and anxiety is occasionally the appropriate response. And I don't want to take you off the hook if it should be your response. Some of you are not right with God, and the appropriate emotion at that point would be a lot of stress and anxiety. Uh, I remember, uh, this was 30-some years ago, but I remember an absolutely terrifying Uh, night that I spent. I was awakening to the things of God. I now had some awareness of my sin and guilt. 
I had become persuaded through conversations of the reality of hell. And it was as if I was staring into the abyss. And I was uh, agitated, uh, panicky, uh, pacing. Uh, I tried uh, to sleep. I'd crawl out of bed and pray. I'd crawl back into bed. I suspect that uh, had anyone seen me during those hours, they might have uh, taken me to the hospital for medication to try and calm me down. We are relatively quick, perhaps too quick in some circumstances. This is not in all circumstances. I'm not suggesting that. But we are often quick to uh, deal with some of the anxiety that in previous generations people might have recognized as an opportunity to deal with God. Uh, I am not trying to take that fear and anxiety away from folks. Uh, I wouldn't wish my experience on anyone, but I would wish the peace that I have found on the other side of that on people. Not a perfect peace. I do not have this thing hardwired. I do not want to suggest that. But there is a, uh, a settledness and a, a comfort that does come out of a relationship, a growing relationship with God. And so for those of you who have not yet um, stepped over the line, I pray for you that that is the result. For those of you who have, uh, but who do not know that peace that uh, surpasses all understanding on a consistent basis, I would uh, pray that for you as well. Um, By way of overview, let me note that we are in this study of the Gospel of Luke, an investigation into the life, work, teachings, and claims of Jesus Christ. And uh, we're specifically in the Nativity narratives. Last week, we listened in on a conversation between Elizabeth and Mary. Both of these women are uh, unexpectedly and to varying degrees uh, supernaturally pregnant. Uh, Mary, upon being informed by the angel, Gabriel, that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, has uh, made this trip to visit Elizabeth, whom she was told by the angel was also pregnant. We looked at that passage last, uh, last week and, and noted uh, that, that Mary found great comfort in Elizabeth's words. And additionally, we were a little surprised that, uh, that Elizabeth honored Mary, something that was out of step with that culture, but in keeping with uh, Mary's position as the mother of Jesus. And we finally noted that, that, that Mary, excuse me, that Elizabeth is the first one to call Jesus Lord, that uh, she hasn't seen him teach, heal, perform miracles, right? She's not seen him raise the dead. She's not seen him go to his death on the cross. But she recognizes him as her master, and she declares it. And then there was the little passage where Luke noted that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we focus then on the person and ministry of the Spirit of God. Noting that today, after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, God himself, 
uh, will come to indwell us at the time that we give our life to Christ. And, and we looked at what it looks like to yield our life to the Spirit. Not to grieve the Spirit, not to quench the Spirit, not to resist the Holy Spirit, but in Paul's admonition to be continually filled. It is a present tense imperative. And, and we are supposed to yield to the Spirit of God. And we looked at different ways that might happen, uh, including just the, the, the request that should be part of our ongoing conversation with God. Fill me with your Spirit. Guide and direct me. May your fruit ripen in my life, Holy Spirit. Well, today, we, we move on from this, and we look at Mary's response. Now, it's worth noting that both Elizabeth's first comments and Mary's response are famously celebrated in art and in music. Uh, Elizabeth's response, uh, Elizabeth's initial words to Mary, uh, in Latin, form the, the lyrics for the Ave Maria, which has been in, uh, being sung for over a thousand years. Mary's response, which we call the Magnificat, has been uh, around longer than that. Eighth uh, century, there, there were hundreds of years where, where it would be repeated as part of people's daily prayers, making Mary's words, for centuries, the best-known words from the Gospels uh, of, of any words, because people were repeating these words on a daily basis. Um, uh, she, her words would then be added into the English Book of Common Prayer in the mid-1500s, and uh, Mozart and Bach and others all will put her words into um, to song. Well, um, as just an aside, by the way, I, I learned something this week. If I knew this, I had long since forgotten it. Music is not just a gift that God gives to us, right, as we see here. It moves us in ways that words alone just don't do. Um, music is also something we look forward to in heaven. And in Zephaniah, we are told that God will sing for us in heaven. God will sing over us in heaven. Zephaniah 3 uh, says, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. So uh, we have that to look forward to. Right now, uh, what we have to look forward to are Mary's words. So if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 1 beginning with verse 46. This is the Magnificat. It's called the Magnificat uh, after the first word in the text in Latin. We give you a bookmark today in your uh, worship folder. One side has the Magnificat, the words of the Magnificat in English. The other side has the words of the Magnificat in Latin. The first word in Latin is magnificat. Uh, it means to magnify, to enlarge, right? Mary is praying, magnify the Lord, broadcast his greatness, shout about his glory. Uh, these were not her first words, right? Her first words were words of, of some confusion. When the angel told her she was going to give birth to the Son of God, she said, how can this be, for I have been with no man. Uh, her second set of words were words of, of, 
of submission, right? She knows a little bit about what's coming her way, clearly has identified that this is going to be problematic, but she says, I am the Lord's handmaiden, right? I am the Lord's servant, may it be unto me as you have said. What we get today are the words after she's had a chance to think about things. So she's made this journey from her home to visit Elizabeth. Tradition says it was a four-day trip. So I'm guessing that after a day and a half, her iPhone is out of batteries. She's not texting. She's not Facebooking. No Instagrams. She's just thinking as she walks to be with Elizabeth. This is her thoughtful reflection, her wonderful reply. And I've asked uh, Elizabeth Erickson, who is... uh, who is a sophomore at Carmel High School and a 15-year-old, so not unlike Mary 2,000 years ago, if she would read the text for us. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. There are several things to, uh, to note about Mary's response. The first is that uh, it shows that she knows her Bible. I've said that it's likely that Mary was illiterate. Um, we, we don't know this for certain. The Jews were very interested in education because they had a book from God. They wanted people to be able to read the book. Uh, but, you know, poor Jewish girls living in Nazareth were unlikely, most scholars believe, to be literate. So um, she's not reading the Bible, and even if she can read, the, the, the Bible scrolls are only in the synagogue. People didn't have access to the Word of God themselves. It's just the, the process of making copies of books was way too cumbersome and, and expensive. So she is going to be reflecting on what she has heard and thought about. And in this prayer that she gives, this, this song that she sings, right, she is going to, to model that on Hannah's prayer earlier. A thousand years earlier, Hannah, the, the mother of Samuel, was struggling with infertility. And when uh, she gives birth to a son, Samuel will be a great prophet. She gives a prayer. Mary's prayer is modeled clearly after Hannah's prayer. Additionally, Mary will weave in passages of Genesis, 1 and 2 Samuel, Deuteronomy, Job, Hezekiah, Micah, Zephaniah, the Psalms. She just crams this prayer with references to Scripture. This is a teenage girl who knows the Bible. Secondly... It's worth noting that this is a young woman who has some real strength and conviction. Uh, I've described her again. Poor, simple, uh, uneducated, 
living on the wrong side of the tracks, uh, all of that is true. None of that means she was not a strong person. Her comments uh, suggest that there is, uh, there is strength, she is enlightened, she is thoughtful, and she is edgy. I mean, she gives a call for social justice that is uh, disruptive. And many would, would suggest that she had somehow must have been influenced by the zealots. Uh, you may remember that, that between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New, during those 400 years, the Jews splintered into four sort of quasi-political, quasi-religious parties based almost entirely on their response to Roman occupation. The Sadducees are sort of the, uh, the East Coast liberal uh, you know, New York Times reading, not many of them, a fair bit of money, and they're willing to trade uh, cooperation with Rome for their own power. The Pharisees are the religious right. The fundamentalists, they sort of don't want a lot to do with the government except to use the government to try and enforce laws on, on everybody. They want strict compliance, a bit self-righteous. Think of them as the fundamentalists. Uh, the third group are the Essenes, sort of a mix between a 60s hippie and a 21st century survivalist. They go out into the desert thinking everyone else is going to die. That's what's going to happen. They are going to live simply sort of monastic lives. The fourth group was the Zealots. The Ze- Simon was a zealot, one of Christ's disciples. They want to overthrow Rome. They're the revolutionaries. Pick up your, you know, pick up your rifles. Let's, uh, let's be about revolution. So it looks as though uh, Mary has got a little bit of that. Let's overthrow the powers that be. I mean, verse 51, she says, uh, he has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. For the most part, we ignore these words from Mary. Um, that, there's a bit of tradition to that. When Martin Luther translated the Bible out of, out of Latin into German, right, he leaves these words in Latin. Okay, so Luther, he's, he's nailed his 95 theses on the door in Wittenberg. He's been called before Rome to offer testimony of what he believes. Many believe that he was about to be killed on his way back. He's kidnapped by a German prince to protect him. And he's, he's ensconced in this castle, and this German prince is keeping him alive. Well, during those, ta- those years in the castle, he translates the Bible into the language of the people. He does not translate the Magnificat. Why not? Well, German princes don't like statements where it says, right, that uh, he has scattered those who are proud. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. So uh, Luther leaves that in Latin. Uh, there's an article recently in Christianity Today in which uh, David Neff notes that for 1,500 years people chanted the words that Mary gave us verbatim. In today's music, right, everybody just sort of leaves this part out. Uh, Neff wrote in particular and said um, that, uh, that we don't, we soft pedal, today's music soft pedals her critique of wealth. And he said he was frustrated by uh, today's musicians' tendency to blunt the Magnificat's 
protest against the 1%. Well, as I have said before, and um, we'll say again, look, the, the call from Scripture, the call from Jesus, the call from Mary, the call from the prophets is not to socialism. Uh, capitalism has some significant upsides. I think that we have seen that the market has been a blessing to many. It has lifted lots of people out of poverty. I really believe it's the best option. However, uh, we need to understand that the market is nothing more than the sum total of the decisions of broken people. And they are sinful. Uh, And we, um, Adam Smith was not prescribing a way that we should live. He was noting that uh, if we allow people to act in their own best interest, things work out in a way that builds the wealth of nations. That's good. Uh, Again, capitalism has lifted many people out of poverty. It's provided wealth. However, it's not simply that wealth is spiritually risky, and Jesus has lots of things that that come to us by way of warning to those who have money, And it's not just that the market is nothing more than the sum total of the decisions of sinful people. It's that as Christ followers, we can't defer to the market. We are called to a life of compassion. We are called to a life that seeks justice. The words of Mary might to some sound like the words of a zealot. To others sound like the words of Karl Marx. They're neither. They're the words of God. The prophets of God, Jesus himself, say to us, we have to be concerned about the poor. We have to pursue justice. We have to care for the oppressed. And so we have some, um, we have some challenging words from Mary, and I think it's always worth being challenged. It's worth us being reminded that the money we have is not our own, right, and that we do well to care for those around us who are in need. Well, <clears throat> there are several things we could, we could pull out of Mary's famous words here. I want to focus on what it is that she does because I think it's, it's very significant and worth noting that, that Mary wonderfully and remarkably gives us an example by, by not reciting her problems, but instead by focusing on God's attributes. She's in a difficult spot. I mean, let's just stop and think about this. Pregnancy is often a time of, of being more concerned about your health and the baby's health. There are lots of things that can go wrong when you're pregnant, especially if you're a 15-year-old far from home 2,000 years ago when lots of people died in pregnancy. So uh, this, is, this is a different day. Uh, she would have been nervous just about surviving pregnancy. Secondly, there's concerns about uh, the fact that her pregnancy is a scandal. Right? She's got to be wondering, am I going to be stoned? And it, what's Joseph going to say? Is he going to leave me? If he leaves me, Will my parents take me in? If they don't take me in, what am I going to do? And will I be a good mom? 
I mean, will, will, the, will, will the baby be okay? And will I do the right thing? This is God's son after all, right? The stress level is a little high here. I need to do well by this child. There, there are lots of things that, that are going on in, in Mary's life that, that would lead her to be anxious. But what she does in her response here is not to focus on her problems. She focuses on God's character. And so what we get is, um, you know, in, in, in verse 46, she calls God her Lord and Master, acknowledging that he's in charge. In verse 47, she calls him her Savior, recognizing that he has the power to rescue her. In 48, she, she rejoices that he is omniscient, fully aware of her situation. Goes on and she, she celebrates that he is all-powerful. She celebrates that he is holy. In verse 50, she celebrates his mercy. She will go on to celebrate his provision for the hungry, his care for the poor, his commitment to keep his promises. By one uh, scholar's assessment, there are 17 different attributes of God that she weaves into this short prayer. Mary focuses on God... And then sees her problems next to him. And this right-sizes her situation. Now, please hear me. I'm not suggesting that um, she's just being flippant or casual or not thinking about what's going to come her way. That's not what we're called to do. We're not called to ignore the future. We're not called not to make plans. That's not it. Secondly, I am not suggesting that... that, uh, that she believes that everything is going to work out exactly the way she wants it to. That also is not the promise that we are given. The Bible is quite clear that uh, we will face problems. As a matter of fact, I I put a quote in the front of your worship folder uh, by John Stott. And in that quote, he said, A Christian's freedom from anxiety is not due to some guaranteed freedom from trouble. A Christian's freedom from anxiety is not due to some guaranteed freedom from trouble, but to the folly of worry and to the awareness that that God is our Father. Third, this is not a suggestion that we simply try to ignore our problems by looking at God or not think about our problems by looking at God. I have a, uh, a friend, a good friend, who struggles with anxiety. It would be a surprise to you if you met him. Uh, he's quite accomplished, and he, you know, he presents himself as someone who's got life pretty well figured out. But he has struggled with anxiety for many years. At times, it's been absolutely uh, debilitating. And, and he has uh, explained to me, as I've tried to understand this, that part of his problem is that his thinking was just a little off the mark. Usually the lies we believe are not, you know, bald-faced lies easily dismissed. They're close to the truth. And, and he believed that he had responsibility for his family, which would be true, but he understood that in a way that just became crippling. By the way, um, he recently wrote a letter to 
another gentleman, CEO of a significant company, also a Christ follower who's sort of hit the cover off the ball for the first 40 years of life and now is debilitated by uh, panic attacks. And, and my friend wrote him a letter. I put this letter in my notes that are online. It's the, this letter is full of lots of great counsel and wisdom about anxiety at a, at a different level. So, uh, again, that's, all that stuff is, is online, and you can access that. But, but in this letter, or but my, in my conversations with my friend, he explained to me that one of the things he had to learn to do was to stare down his anxieties and to let it run out Not to imagine that it couldn't happen, but to look at the worst that could happen. And to realize that even if all of that happens, God is enough. That that ultimately, God is enough. Even if his worst fears are realized. I would say to you, This is clearly what Paul has done. When he writes about joy from a prison cell in Rome, he's awaiting trial. When he goes to trial, one of three things is going to happen. One is he's going to be released. The second is he's going to be beaten and then released. The third is he's going to be put to death right then. Clearly, Paul has made peace with all of these options when he says, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If, If... If I live, I will seek to be faithful to what I have been called to do. If I die, I go to heaven and I'm with God. Right? I can handle any outcome that will come my way. God is enough. And sometimes we, we need to, to focus right on what terrifies us and realize that alongside God, it's going to be okay. The worst may happen. God is enough. Mary models this for us. She doesn't, she's not flippant about what's going on. She's not ignoring her problems. She's not thinking that everything is going to be easy. She right-sizes her problems by focusing on, on God and his attributes. And that gives her breathing room. And sometimes that is what we have to do, to get down on our knees and to, and to focus on God. Not ignoring the problems that we face, but getting an understanding again of who God is so that we can look at them in a different light and say, whatever happens... God is enough. Uh, I don't know what your world is like at this moment. As is clear, I'm not promising God is going to solve all the problems in ways that you would like them solved. This is what I know. That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Focus on God, then on the problems. Mary gives us a great example of how to navigate very challenging situations. Worship, not worry. Let God and his character right-size your situation. Let me pray for us.
Lord God Almighty, there's lots of... um, There's lots of fear and anxiety in this room, as you know perfectly well. Lots of of, uh, folks who um, want desperately to know that peace that comes out of a relationship with you and are working hard to try and keep you first, to see you and then the problem. And so we pray to that end. Help, uh, help us all to understand how good and powerful and loving and gracious you are. Help us to realize uh, that you withhold uh, no good thing from us. Help us to understand that uh, your love for us is so great that you sent your son. Help us to understand that um, in light of eternity, you are working out everything in ways that Um, we can't understand now. Help us to be more like um, this young woman who you chose uh, to be the mother of your son. Help us to be uh, more like she is, to to know you, uh, to know about you, uh, to see life uh, through your promises and your character. We've been told that... um, an understanding of you provides rest. So I pray that for those who are struggling with anxiety, uh, that uh, you would give them peace and rest through a right relationship with you. In Christ's name, amen.